Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Secure Networks, the index packet forensic files with your host, Michael Morris. Our special guest this week for this episode is Tim Wade, Technical Director, Office of the CTO at Vector AI. Tim, welcome. Thank you for joining. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, awesome. Michael, uh, first of all, thanks for uh, hosting this forum. Uh, I think one thing that we've all missed over the last pandemic season is opportunities to get together, discuss things that matter. Um, and this is a topic that we have ahead of us that I, I think that um, that matters. Um, so my, uh, my uh, background is actually principally as a practitioner. Um, and uh, once upon a time, uh, I was a young man who ran off to join the circus, uh, aka the United States Air Force, uh, and really kind of cut my teeth on this stuff. Um, you know, ranging from uh, engineering, architecture functions, uh, spent my time in the trenches waking up when you know things went bump in the night. And so this is, um, you know, an area where I've got a lot of empathy. And as we talk about some of the problems, um, I, I think that's useful because, you know, again, there's some solutions in theory. Uh, and then those of us who have had to practice out that theory um, kind of understand that, uh, that there can be some challenges in there as well. But my current role is uh, as the technical director of Vector AI. Um, and uh, this involves uh, vision, um, strategy for the capabilities that we want in our product. And, and ultimately, that product is a platform that enables an enterprise to detect and respond to threats as they manifest in traditional networks or non-traditional cloud presence, whatever that may be. Uh, that's the problem that we're squarely aimed at. No, your your background, first of all, thank you for your service. And your background is ideal for what I really want to get into today, which um, is this new big trend I'm hearing a lot about, this whole concept of modernizing the SOC. And and with your experience and your view of so many you know enterprises and, and businesses, um, what does it mean to you? And what are you seeing across the industry around this SOC modernization? Yeah. Um, so, so good question. I think that, um, uh, you know, at a top level, you know, modernization, I think that there's a realization in the practitioner, uh, ranging all the way down from the boots on the ground to the leadership, um, that some of the ways things have been, have been done in the past, um, aren't as effective. Uh, and so kind of implicit in this, notion of modernization is this idea that there are changes that we're adapting to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, and then there's the question of, you know, how, how do we come out of the other side uh, of this more effective, um, uh, more efficient? And, uh, and I think that it's good to kind of cast this in a view around what is causing this. I think there's a couple of things. Number one, it's this external factor of the adversary. I think that the tradecraft has become um, not necessarily more sophisticated across the board, but more accessible to the actors. Mm. Um, it's kind of percolated down from the nation state into kind of commodity actors. And, and all of a sudden, things that required a great deal of sophistication 10 years ago don't today. And so there's this notion of we need to, to modernize to address that. But then additionally, the kind of structure of the enterprise itself has changed. Uh, the end user has been evicted from the branch office in many respects, and there's kind of remote floating assets. Um, and, and even as the enterprise clearly still has uh, this data center footprint and many essential systems reside there, um, there are cases where, uh, you know, SaaS offerings augment existing services or things have been rewritten and redeployed. And so now there's this hybrid enterprise that mm -hmm. a lot of prior uh, architectural decisions may not hold. And so 
um, practitioners want to address that. Uh, what I'm seeing that's most effective uh, as it comes to modernization is kind of like three, three kind of core principles. Um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, it'd be fair to actually kind of uh, describe these in, in notions of people, process, and technology. Oftentimes we kind of devolve into those aspects of, right. of change. Um, but the first is kind of has to do with people and kind of, you know, thinking about this space. And, and it's kind of a philosophy. I think historically we've spent a lot of time uh, focusing on preventing the bad guy. I know that early in my career, that was the focal, focal point, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that this kind of first notion of modernization hinges on a shift away from a reliance on prevention to succeed mm -hmm. when we know, in fact, that at some point it will fail. Um, some of your audience members actually may have, may have joined us at Black Hat, Jen Easterly, recently appointed director, yeah. uh, Sissa. Uh, came out and said, hey, prevent, you know, I'm paraphrasing. I don't, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but something to the effect of like, you know, given motivation, time, uh, resources, prevention will fail. We need to build resilience into organization. So I think philosophically modernization is about going on that kind of resilience journey. Um, uh, I think that it's, it's, you know, next is about kind of organizational process and de-siloing mm -hmm. uh, security. Um, and before I get too long-winded here, <laughs> I'll equip the answer and just say that um, I think the third thing is uh, you know, if cloud has been transformative on one end, uh, machine intelligence and artificial intelligence has been transformative um, on the other end. And so there's an opportunity for organizations to modernize the, the adoption of, of more effective uh, machine intelligence. And obviously, you know, uh, working in the context of Vectra AI, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, leading machine intelligence-based outcomes with, uh, you know, security research and trade cap expertise is, you know, our our bread and butter there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you hit on it here with my next question. So you may not have much more to add, but um, you talked about some of the things driving the initiative from uh, from the industry space. Are there specific issues SOC teams are facing that's that's also pushing them to to quote modernize? Um, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that there's this question where again, up and down the hierarchy, leaders are saying, what is the return on investment yeah. for, for what, what I've been doing? Um, the you know, boots on the ground is saying, you know, I'm, I'm being fed uh, you know, unactionable alerts or unactionable te uh, telemetry. This isn't working. Um, you know, the, the kind of intermediary leadership responsible for aligning the business and the technical practitioners are getting pinched from both sides. Um, you know, I, I think again, it's it's just asking ourselves, in the face of this change that we recognize has occurred, um, why would we continue to invest in something that is not showing dividends on that investment? Yeah, no, that's excellent. I mean, the ROI of so many tools and you know processes, I, I totally think you're spot on there. Are, are you seeing um, specific top priorities uh, socks are working to address? Uh, I mean, you talked about ROI, but is there gaps or something that you think is really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I definitely think that there, there are clearly gaps, um, uh, just based on the fact that we keep seeing things in, in the headlines. Uh, potentially, that that exposes that there's an opportunity for us as an industry, a community, to, um, to improve. I think that, um, you know, each each vertical, each organization, actually, frankly, you know, let's go more specific. 
right. is going to have their own priorities. Um, in some cases, uh, those priorities may be about technology. In some cases, uh, they're about organizational alignment. You know, you know, it, 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 it depends. But I think that one thing that is an a top priority and is symptomatic of success in, in modernization here is the notion that this can be done iteratively. Um, you know, if you look at where you're standing today and where you need to be, yeah. uh, you know, that could be overwhelming because there's mm -hmm. a lot of ground that may, that may need to be covered, uh, particularly for some organizations that they made a very quick uh, pivot into some new architectural configuration mm -hmm. of their enterprise for some kind of business need. Um, and now the secure team is playing catch up. Uh, you know, it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to eat that whole elephant all in one bite. Yeah. Right. But uh, an opportunity for iterative adoption. Um, you know, what does changing from prevention to resilience look like for your organization? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what what can you pursue right now to move the needle there? Um, but then additionally, part of that iterative uh, adoption is not just the activity of making these changes, but also the measurement. Right. Um, there are cases where, uh, you know, the annual pen test, you hear about that, but, you know, sidestepping that, Oftentimes the same findings show up on those tests year over year. Um, that may just be too long of a cycle yeah. for someone to rapidly iterate and change between where they're going and correct course to where they need to go. Um, and so, you know, that's important. You know, one other notion that actually is, I think, uh, part of that modernization journey, it's, it's on the staff standpoint. It's very difficult to be a security defender without an appreciation of offensive tradecraft. Um, and so up-leveling those skills to get an appreciation for the adversary uh, makes them more effective in defensive tradecraft, but then also often opens up the door for some of those iterative testing scenarios where they've got the knowledge and the skills, they can take some tests off the shelf, identify gaps, determine, hey, did we plug that gap? If not, let's try something different. Uh, or great, we did check that off, move on. No, I think I think that's a number of excellent points in there of of the the adoption of agile processes across all businesses, right? No, no longer just in dev environments, um, and and going that agile approach to iteratively do stuff, I think is 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 spot on. Vector and and Endace, we we work together across a number of verticals and industries, uh, and I know a common thing we constantly hear from. Uh, pretty much all those verticals is this whole theme of alert fatigue. Right. And, and I actually don't like that word because, because it's, it's kind of a marketing term, but uh, SOC teams are overwhelmed with sheer event volumes, alert volume. Yeah. How do, how do they get out of this purely reactive mode and, and start to elevate themselves to more advanced uh, proactive things, threat hunting approaches what what's some tips you're seeing or what do you recommend in that area? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different kind of access that we can prosecute that on. On one hand, uh, you know, we in industry um, have long struggled with putting actionable telemetry in front of analysts. And, and um, I think that that is something that needs to be prioritized, frankly. It's something that we prioritize at Vectra. Um, but additionally, going from reactive to proactive, I think that there's this notion that you kind of need to understand the rules before you can break them. And what I mean by that is, um, uh, imagine an organization that's, that's, that's fairly immature, it wouldn't be a stretch of the imagination to think that they're actually extremely 
um, uh, flexible in how they deal with things um, because it's it's primarily ad hoc. Yeah. You know, whatever the word of the day is or the flavor of the week or whatever that is, is what they're chasing, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so in some cases, maturity from, from that standpoint actually will reduce some flexibility because there's a need to define process. There's a need to call out those uh, pieces of telemetry that aren't actionable, that have a very low malicious true positive rate. Mm-hmm. Stop distracting your analysts with it. Um, define the process around what's important and what's not, how we do it, how we can predictably have these outcomes um, in our security operations center. Um, that actually reduces flexibility and kind of constrains some of the adaptability, but it's it's the journey that you need to get on because first that helps you understand the rules. And then once you have that baseline of effectiveness where you can consistently handle the threat profile, threat capacity that aligns with that, then you can start creating lanes for threat hunters for um, experts in, in, in you know, certain domains or, uh, you know, they have the capacity to you know, analyze attacks and do detection engineering exercises, things like that, mm-hmm. where, where now they have the confidence that the routine things will be handled by process, but now given a unforeseen threat or a novel threat, they still have the, um, you know, the capacity to address that outside of what the defined process is. Right. No, that, that's a great point on that. We're seeing a lot of, um, obviously uh, rapid growth and adoption of SOAR platforms. What's your take on SOAR platforms and how they're helping with this alert volume or, or you know, maybe in some cases even making it more complex? Yeah. Um, so, so to some degree, the devil is in the details. I will say in a prior life, uh, we got to a point on our uh, modernization journey where we were making some technology plays and we brought a SOAR in and I would say that it up-leveled the staff and it was, it was a super positive experience. Um, though, you know, there's some kind of, you know, there are bumps on the road and some learning experiences, uh, on the course there. But, um, you know, one thing that's, that, uh, is cool about SOAR, um, sidestepping that there can be things like case management or some kind of enrichment activities that can kind of occur there for a moment. It's often about, um, uh, taking a task from a human and shifting it to a machine and gaining some efficiency there, right? Moving at machine speed. Um, and I talked earlier about machine intelligence, the importance mm-hmm. of leveraging machine intelligence. If you look at, if you kind of like step back and squint at a SOAR from a distance, um, absent any kind of machine learning enhancements that they've thrown in that, um, generally they are kind of policy constructs as, you know, me as an expert with some intelligence, I would come in and say, hey, this is the policy I want uh, this machine to follow, you know, given these integrations, given this objective and whatnot. And so, in some respects, one of the first steps on this journey of machine intelligence is machines that are instructable. Uh, and Asura kind of demonstrates that, right? Um, now, uh, does that kind of uh, satisfy the full ambition of this world where machines and humans are working in harmony and are highly effective? I would say that there's some additional ground that we can cover above and beyond Asura. Um, but, uh, uh, it, 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 and there's some resourcing that needs to occur around the SOAR to really realize that effectiveness. But for organizations that are in a position to do so um, and are committed to doing so, I, you know, I think that that could be a, a useful uh, a tool in their arsenal. Again, though, just understanding that this needs to be contextualized against all of their objectives and, and where they want to invest. In what no, that, that, that last part there is an excellent point there, right? That contextualization in, in their business plans and how their business processes is often often overlooked from my perspective. So thinking of all of this, what are some things SOC teams are still missing 
or not really thinking about when they kick off these plans to do some level of modernization, whatever it might look like? You know, I think you just mentioned one right there as contextualizing <laughs> against all the other stuff, right? Um, security is security is holistic. And, you know, you can't fault us for this. We're technologists at heart. The technology is attractive to us. It's interesting to us. We want to understand how it works. We often can focus first on technology, whereas modernization, again, is holistic. Modernization is about, um, you know, what are the relationships you're cultivating in your business? Do those reflect a modern operating environment? What are the skills? What are the philosophies that staff have adopted with respect mm. to how they're going to secure the organization? Um, that is not necessarily a technology-based discussion. It can intersect with technology. Here's one that may not be a technology-based discussion, and that is how are security outcomes going to be translated into actual tangible business risk? This is something where we have really struggled in the industry for a long time. You think about um, information security, cybersecurity, whatever you know, we want to throw on uh, this space that we're, we're all living in. Um, fairly young discipline, right? The, the success criteria of building a bridge, it's been, you know, it's, 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 you know, does the bridge stand? Does it carry traffic? You know, like it's fairly well defined. Um, success criteria of uh, detecting an adversary uh, when they've had some disruption but have fallen short of some, or, you know, complete disruption, that can get a little squishy. Um, translating investments into ROI in a strictly business context, again, that's an area where there's opportunity for growth and, and, um, and, and maturity. So, you know, I think that, um, I think it's good to contextualize those aspects. Again, I, I hate to overuse the, the term holistically, but, but, but contextualize all of the things that you need to achieve in, in, in relation to the limited resources that you have uh, in a way that, that, uh, you know, resonates with your stakeholders. Um, that's kind of where we need to ground ourselves. No, that's, that's some great point. And, the other thing I'd add to that too is the evolution of the threat actors, right? Of yes, certainly. threat actors that are um, maybe not even set on you as a target, but when they obtain a supply chain backdoor, and you're now one of the victims, hey, what can we find, right? So, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's that's an excellent point. So, all right, you, you've you've hit on a number of really key things for people to think about. Where would you suggest if you're a SOC manager, where do you focus first? Which what's priority one or priority zero, as we like to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that priority zero goes back to that first point about uh, really internalizing that, uh, an overinvestment and over, you know, over, over being overly focused on prevention is setting us up for failure. Um, you know, prevention fails silently. Uh, if an adversary gets a foothold, we want to be resilient to that. So yeah. this is game on, not game over, right? Um, and so all of these other choices, I think, kind of flow downstream from internalizing that fact. What? What does resilience involve? I mean, yes, it, it does involve some prevention. Um, it involves a step short of overinvestment in prevention, but there's some cases where, you, yeah, you want to take the easy stuff off. Um, uh, and, and then maybe there's some disruption to users that is tolerable from a preventative standpoint. But then you really start reaching into things like visibility. Do you have effective visibility into your environment? Can you detect an adversary? Given an opportunity to detect them, can you respond to, to them? Um, can you, you know, going back to visibility, can you contextualize this kind of um, attacker storyline against your assets? 
against your users, against the things that usually occur in your environment? Do you have good insight into those things? Um, do you have the forensics depth necessary to really come to a conclusion on what's going on? Or is this yet another unsolvable, unactionable alert that you put in front of an analyst? Um, investing in, in, in detection and response, those types of capabilities really up levels the resilience game. And so I, you know, I think that's where you start. That's step zero. Step one um, is really just a reflection of step zero in your environment. Do, you know, do you need to make a technology investment? Um, have you over-rotated on prevention? Um, have you under-rotated on IT hygiene uh, you know, uh, or staff training? Uh, you know, do, do you have, do you have uh, administrators who configure things uh, exclusively or do you blend the kind of engineering and architectural functions with the need to actually respond when you know, the alarm bells goes off and you have someone that can confidently do that? You know, these, again, these are questions that will vary by organization, uh, but uh, you know, ultimately flow from a philosophy change towards resilience. No, I, I, I love that term. I'm going to have to start using it if you don't mind, because it's, um, you know, I keep reading over and over again. It's not if, but when, yes. and, and how, how can you mitigate that when as much, much as possible and the mitigation from downtime, from brand protection, from customer data, IP data, you know, th- those are the things. So I, I, I think you nailed it uh, in terms of the resiliency concept. Um, all right. So asking you to be a little bit of a security forecaster, right? I, I always like to leave our listeners with a, a kind of walk away. Um, you know, we, we've got this great insights from Tim here over all, all the issues we're facing today. If we're looking out six to 18 months and, and the continuing shifting battle for cybersecurity, um, what do you think one thing people should be really looking out for or, or, or paying attention to in particular? Um, yeah, good question. Okay, Michael, let me get <laughs> out my, my crystal ball here. Um, you know, when I think about a, a tr- so I think that organizations are modernizing. Uh, I think there's a lot of evidence that that's going on. I think in part, some of that is um, some of the attacks have gone from uh, data exfiltration, the theft, which may or may not be silent, to uh, these kind of you know, impact attacks where you know, if you didn't get the, uh, if your security tech investment didn't alert you to the presence of the attack, the adversary did with the ransom note that they gave you. Um, and, and so I do see this kind of adoption of, of, of various aspects of modernization. I think that um, one thing that, that may prove out over, you know, again, 12, 18 months or something like that, I think that we'll see uh, a reduction or at least a tapering off of some of these impact attacks even as we see an increase in the reporting of non-impact attacks. And um, the basis of my belief here is as organizations shift away from prevention, their visibility will improve. Mm. Their ability to detect an adversary will improve. And so they'll uncover adversaries who have had a foothold in their network that they unfortunately weren't aware of. Mm. Maybe that adversary's MO wasn't impact. It may have just been the theft of intellectual property or the monetization of the data itself. Um, So I expect the reporting on that type of attack to actually increase. I don't think that would be indicative of adversaries being more active. I think it is indicative of defenders catching up. But the benefit here is I do think that the impact attacks will decrease. And the reason I say that is because uh, 
ransomware itself has evolved. It's no longer like this piece of um, malware that's kind of weaponized to encrypt something. Like you know, like I think old school crypto locker just hit the hit the machine and then wipe that machine out. It was kind of you know self-contained for the most part. Um, but uh, you know, increasingly it was weaponized in a way that would kind of worm through the environment. But this new you know, flavor variant, whatever you want to call it, of ransomware is human driven. It's a human operator. Uh, it's a human operator that has gotten in the network, has aggressively expanded and, you know, has stolen the data. And then this kind of ransomware is, it's, is the parting gift. Like, cool, got in here, got my stuff, got a parting gift for you. Thanks for playing. Um, you know, ransomware, you know, the home edition is all yours. Um, but uh, why will that go down? Because again, detection response will uncover an adversary. So there'll be an opportunity before that adversary has shifted into an impact mode, they'll be in a non-impact mode. And if there's an opportunity to detect them, respond and contain them, evict them, and then recover from any kind of incidental damage that may have occurred, restore to a known good state, um, I think that that will start to occur. And so so again, going back to resilience, that is that is a, a net reduction in impact as a result of improved visibility. Right. Tim, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you, learning from you, uh, and hearing your insights. So thank you for joining and sharing your expertise in how to better secure networks. We'd ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our Fusion technology partners, please go to endace.com. Tim, again, thank you for joining and have a great day. Hey, thanks a lot, Michael. Be well. Take care, everyone.